0: Welcome back to the Educated Homebuyer Live, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and investing. This past week, since our last live, we've had unemployment numbers come out. Unemployment's currently sitting at 3.7%. We've got mortgage applications down. We've got interest rates more or less staying flat, maybe even pulling back a little bit. But Josh, the big news tomorrow is the CPI numbers. I was wrong last week. I thought it was last Friday. That was the employment number. So CPI is tomorrow. That is really the catalyst that's either going to send interest rates higher or potentially pull them back. Josh, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow is uh, is the fun one that we've been waiting for. Um, The CPI, as we've talked about many times here on the show, is fairly easy to reverse engineer. We don't know what the month-over-month reading is going to be, but we know what the comparison is uh, with last year. So we are coming off of three, four months of very low comparisons and fairly high month-over-month figures. The month-over-month has moderated. We're seeing uh, an annual figure. I think last month was 8.2%. So when you look at that 8.2 that's pretty much a 0.7% increase per month. Well, the last few months have been less than that, but we had much lower months falling off from last year, the base year. So starting this month, we have a 0.9 figure falling off for October of 21, and we're likely to see something in the range of 0.4 0.5. So mm-hmm. fair would actually be really good fairly easy to project that we should see a lower year over year CPI figure because all the year over year figure is, is a cumulative total of the month over month figures for the last 12 months.
0: No, exactly. And, you know, and the Fed's going to pay more attention to, to core, right? CPI. Um, And, and my understanding is that reading, they're looking for something, I think around 0.5, which would show an annual rate if it stayed at 0.5 of around 6% um, with regards to inflation, which is lower than where we are at the moment um but it it'll be it'll it's a coin toss at this point we know it's going down we just don't know how low it's going
1: and the most important thing, I, we won't see a huge reaction to it tomorrow, um, unless it came out hot. If we had a hot figure, if we had another 0.9 and the uh, the overall uh, year over year CPI stays high, that would be very bad for bonds. Um, unlikely to happen, but that would be the only thing that we get is a big reaction. Let's say we get uh, a downside surprise. Is the bond market gonna explode and rates drop a whole lot? Probably not. They want to see a couple of months trend. So the the, fig, the the thing we have in our favor is that our base year effect going forward for the rest of the year, October, November, December, fairly high figures from last year. So we're likely to see CPI trending down. Now, the reality is it's still going to be elevated. I mean, if we see 0.4 percent month over month for the next 12 months. That puts us at 4.8 percent. That's double where the Fed wants it. It's half, you know, a little less than half of, of what it is right now. So it's definitely a positive trend going in the right direction. We would all love to see that, but it's not something that in and of itself is going to lead to a big sea change in, in interest rates.
0: Now, and on top of that, just a little side note. So like we did last week, we had um, Todd on from, from Baltimore, Maryland area. Tonight we have Melanie on from Florida. Uh, she's in the Tampa Bay market. We're going to talk. We're going to get a little update here on on Tampa Bay and Florida in general. What's happening in that market? So that's probably going to start happening around 5:15, as Josh and I continue to, you know, more or less update you on what's going on here. So, Josh, I do want to talk about interest rates here, but you know, we get a comment from one of our favorite viewers here um, in the chat, Graham, and Graham is asking, "Inflation's going down. How do you know?" And it's, it's basically the calculation of, of exactly what Josh said. We know that, that October was a 0.9 reading from last year. And so if we're looking at the trend of what's happened with inflation the last couple of months, we've had lower readings than 0.9. So when they come in with a reading lower than 0.9, again, a lot of the expectations are somewhere around 0.5%. That once you have that 0.9 drop off, is going to actually show inflation numbers go down. Now, is that going to be substantial? Is it going to be this massive surprise that everyone um, isn't expecting? No, because again, like we know with anything in in interest rates, in bonds, in the stock market, in whatever, there's always built-in expectations. Where the volatility comes in is when the expectations are wrong and when they're really wrong. So with this, I think i'm i'd be really surprised we haven't really had any crazy readings on the high side um so i'd be surprised if this is the first one
1: i i also enjoy the follow-up with um you know it's going down how and then follows. we all know it's going up well you know it's going up how you, i mean right seriously find something better to do on when on a wednesday you disagree with everything we have to say get a life and go find somewhere else to go. The, the numbers speak for themselves and they will speak for themselves over the next several months. Um, we have low base year effects. Go Google base year effects and see what that does because we can say for the next three months, quite likely that it's going to trend down about two to three minutes ago, I said, even if it was 0.4 a month for the next 12 months, we still have inflation at 4.8%. That's a problem. No one's sitting here saying we're going to have 2% interest rates uh, in the near term future. So it's important that when you listen, you actually hear instead of thinking about what your next response is.
2: That
0: sounds like my wife, bro. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's exactly where I got it from. She told that me. Sounds right, that sounds a lot like
0: something my wife would say. Uh, no, on, on a serious note. So let's talk about interest rates. So interest rates the last couple of days. Bond market is more or less moved sideways. Uh, I mean, for the most part, up a little bit, down a little bit, nothing really substantial. Interest rates, for the most part, have trended sideways as well, or have we seen some, some pullback at all?
1: Yeah, we've been in a in a sideways trend for the last three, four weeks, um, really waiting since the last CPI report, waiting to see what happens here. We we had popped up a little bit off of last month's CPI and have been in a, a range of about a quarter percent. And we are sitting right in the middle of that range right now. So if I were to say are rates better or worse um, from last week, slightly better,
0: um, but insignificantly. So pretty much the same as where we were last week. There you go. Awesome. Um, so with that said, what else do we have going on here in... Uh... In our in our lovely real estate market to chat with, I mean to talk about. So, really, I mean, really, the big news is CPI. I mean, we've talked about it week over week. the The numbers are going to continue to, I wouldn't say be disappointing, but they're going to continue to be less um, than last year's figures um, with regards to the number of home sales, with the 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 number of closed transactions on every front um for one again you're comparing it to really high numbers the last 2 years that aren't normal for this time of year and you know that and then you have the seasonality playing its part on top of that so numbers are going to continue to slow less and less business is going to be done the only thing that's going to change that is some some drop in interest rates or some big increase in interest rates more or less the market's probably going to move sideways for the foreseeable future now expect expect you should expect the next two months to continue to slow down just because that is what happens here. Um, and, and, that's any, any, any market, uh, for that matter, not just this market this year, you know, two years ago, three years ago, and in what I would quote a normal market, 2019, it was, you know, this is the time of year when, when, again, when people start to pull their homes off the market, things tend to uh, just naturally slow down. Uh, but I would say, if if you're out there as a home buyer and we're going to talk to melanie a little bit about new construction and and, and cuz her market is made up of a lot of new construction as well but i see th- probably the biggest opportunities in this market are probably going to come from some sort of of builder or new construction one you've got you know the, the just the natural progression that we've talked about and the slowdown in the market Builders aren't in the business of holding on to homes. They want to sell them, but you're also coming to year end, right? Not that their fiscal year end is going to be December, but a lot of these builders want to get property off the books um, and and not to mean they're going to give it away. I'm not saying that. We're going to talk to her about what she's seeing in her market and how she's approaching that. But I feel like there's probably going to be more of an opportunity to get a deal if if you're looking at new, stru- new construction over the next couple of months. So Josh, what do you think yeah. about that?
1: Jeb, you know, really before we, before we move on, yep, you probably saw this week, Open Door had more layoffs and Redfin had some layoffs and basically all related to their iBuying department. So we had Zillow get out of it completely. I didn't see, I didn't read into the stories to see whether they completely have backed out of iBuying, but it was, it was funny to me having flipped a ton of houses, uh, in the downturn in 2008, 2009, um, it was interesting to me seeing big players with big pockets and economies of scale. And the the thought occurred to me that, you know, when we see the next downturn, these companies will be the ones that will clean up and the small mom and pop um, investors that are buying distressed properties, rehabbing them and reselling them will not really be able to participate. But what we're seeing is all those companies did was they had great data. They had insight into where the market was going and what buyers were willing to pay and where they were willing to pay it. They stepped in and they overpaid for properties. And they've seen that they didn't have a a whole lot of insider skill that a small local investor that might flip five or six houses in a year is when you're trying to scale to buying billions of dollars of homes. Very interesting um, to see that what should be shaping up for the right market to buy homes at a discount
0: uh, and resell. They're completely out of the market. Well, it's it's funny. I mean, you know, so I was on another podcast today at, talking about this this topic. Actually, came up, and they said, "What do you think about iBuyers?" I said, "You know, what's funny is that 2019, 2020, prior to the pandemic, I was actually just starting a YouTube channel, and I did a video on iBuyers, and I said that iBuyers basically would not last in this market. And the reason I said that was, and it had nothing to do with the 2020 them overpaying and all of that. That was a completely different catalysts that added on to, to the reason I think they failed, but they're for one, they, they, their business model is, is, is terrible. Um, in the, in, in the idea that they're using, um, AI and, and different, you know, uh, measures to figure out the value of a home versus actually having a human out there figure out these calculations, because, you know, as good as artificial intelligence is it, 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 it can't figure out some of the things with regards to location and upgrades and just different things that it, you actually need a real person to, to, to be involved in. Um, and, and they came out and they were this disruptor in the market and they were going to be the next thing. And everybody was fearing I buyers. And you would look at the commission structure that they were charging and they were doing low commissions, you know, on paper. But then when you looked at the actual fees, once you tallied everything up that they were charging, they were actually more expensive to sell a home with than it was to use traditional real estate agent. And so I said, that business model's not, it's not going to work. People see that, but once they actually go through the process, it's not nearly as good. And quite frankly, that, that business model has failed in in a number of ways, but on top of that, they're now getting sued because they, they did set an expectation that it was much less expensive to use them versus you know a traditional uh path of of using a real estate agent and now there's a whole lawsuit against them and you know millions of dollars in this whole thing so yeah there's a lot of people knocking on the door of trying to disrupt the real estate market with artificial intelligence and all of that but like I've said for a very long time selling you know buying real estate selling real estate is an emotional process you need an agent involved you know there's a lot of hand-holding that a lot of people don't see um so yeah some of the numbers can be crunched by artificial intelligence and that sort of thing but at the end of the day you you need people like me melanie you need people like josh on the mortgage side to actually walk you through this process so with that said, Josh, you're going to add something else before I, I, I no, get I our special say, guest here?
1: Going back to that house that you put up the other week that uh, that the interior was gutted. And someone asked about it again last week. And in the same neighborhood, Open Door had had renovated a home, was selling it for only about thirty forty thousand dollars 40000 more than the one that was gutted. But unfortunately, they, they don't even have design talent because the house wasn't done to the modern standards of what buyers want. So it was new and it was clean. But they just missed the mark all all the way around, which uh, maybe I just had too high of
0: expectations for what they would be capable of. No, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Miss Melanie. Hi, guys. How are you tonight? Welcome to the show.
2: Well, I am good. Um, We are staring down a tropical storm coming tonight and tomorrow.
0: In (laughs) in the middle of a a tropical storm to come have a conversation with us. You know, anything
2: for you guys.
1: If I you cut out that. in the middle of the show, we'll know that the storm got a little more serious. Well,
2: it's barely a whisper of wind right now, so it'll be fine. You're and technically, good, it's a subtropical storm, which I actually had to look up today because that's not normally what it is. So, well,
0: explain yeah. to us what a subtropical storm uh, is because I'm I'm from North Carolina and I know what a tropical storm is, but I don't know what a subtropical So
2: You storm should is. know what a subtropical storm is then because it actually forms when it, it's a storm that forms when it's, uh, farther North. So apparently the biggest thing about it is that you have higher wind speeds farther away from the, the technical eye of it. And I don't know something about colder water, all sorts of things. I'm not a meteorologist. Um, no. I just play one sometimes. On no, YouTube. All good.
0: So Melanie, let's, let's start the show. Um, Josh doesn't know you. Um, a lot of our viewers may or may not know you. So maybe a little bit about yourself. Um, what you do full-time outside of, of being on YouTube and, um, a little bit of hint of, of maybe, you know, what you're selling in the market that you're in.
2: Yeah. Well, um, I have been a Tampa Bay area real estate agent for 15 years now. Um, I started my YouTube channel in 2018, um, on a whim and, uh, talked to a wall for a while. And then, um, it took off in about 2019, um, which was very lucky. It was pre COVID. And obviously as all of, you know, Uh, Florida became quite the hot spot during COVID, and everyone was doing their research online. So, uh, the channel uh, Melanie Loves Tampa Bay is um, about real estate. It is about Tampa in general. It is um, about, you know, basically living in Florida. Uh, So, even if you're not looking for real estate in Florida, if you're going to visit Tampa, uh, there's a lot of great things on the channel in general. I just filmed a episode with my best friend about just local chefs and restaurants and things like that. So if anyone's visiting, that'll be a good one. That'll be out in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. And for anybody that's not familiar, videos are really professional, way more professional than what I'm doing on this side <laughs> over here. Uh, it's Thank good you. stuff. Uh, but we wanted to talk to you about Florida real estate, just because obviously like everything else with regards to housing, it's kind of the focal point because it saw a lot of the migration from from. Let's say blue states um, for one, uh, but also a lot of migration from people getting out of the cold, wanting to get to the the warm, people being able to work from home, making that transition, wanting to live in Florida, you know, amongst, you know, warm weather amongst other things. So, you know, maybe just an update. Um, because we, we actually haven't had a conversation to, you know, on, on what it was like during the height of the market. So maybe just a little bit about what you're seeing in your market right now. Um, and then, you know, I think you're more higher end on, on the, on the real estate side. So if if you're more in the luxury space, if you can give us a little insight as to what's happening on the other side too.
2: Yeah, well, there, that was a lot of questions. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, during uh, the last couple of years, as again, as everyone knows, Florida was the hot spot. Um, to say it was crazy would be a massive understatement. Uh, we have had an average sales price increase from 2019 in the Tampa area of about 62%, and that was buyer driven. Um, obviously, a lot of people were coming down. Um, I don't talk politics on my channel, and I'm assuming you don't either, um, but I would be uh, you know, not talking about kind of the major thing that really yep. pushed a lot of people here. Um, and actually, since the election was yesterday, I, I heard a fun stat, and I love stats. So I pulled um, our voter registration here in Florida, and we actually had a net gain of almost 500,000 registered Republicans from 2019 to 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Democrats had a almost $20,000 voter decrease from 2019 to 2022, as far as registered voters. Um, So that was uh, a big part of what we were seeing coming here. Um, And a lot of the conversations that I had to have as uncomfortable as they can be sometimes. that, that was a lot of uh, the buyer demand. Right. People liked the way that we uh, were uh, open, I guess would be mm-hmm. the best word for it uh, during the COVID years. So uh, love it or hate it. That is what it was like in Florida. And there was plenty of people that liked it. So it really drove our buyer demand. Um, we also weren't really prepared from it from a new construction standpoint. Builders were just going about their business, building things as they would in a normal market. And then all of a sudden they had, you know, lines out their door. So that created um, a tremendous uh, inventory, uh, just zero inventory. We had about two weeks of inventory, I think, at our lowest. And um, so prices in turn went up significantly. Um, There was a lot of money coming from states that didn't typically come to Tampa. Uh, I don't think the West Coast of the country had really ever thought about Tampa. Um, I did not have very many California or Oregon clients um, or Washington State clients prior to COVID, and now I do. I have uh, a lot of them. And uh, I, I mean, welcome. It's, it's great that you guys have discovered us over here because we, we felt a little ignored uh, for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> everyone knows the other coast and no one really thinks about uh, Tampa, but it's really beautiful here. So it was only a matter of time before people figured it out. So um, yes. And then um, I do tend to work in uh, probably about the $500,000 market and up. Um, but that kind of is, you know, normal pricing at this point. So, um, it's, it, it would be nice to only work in the luxury market, but unfortunately we have a lot of buyers coming to this area that are just families in, you know, regular price points, you know, 400 to 700,000.
0: Gotcha. And, and a lot of what you're selling. So I know new construction was kind of, um, you guys didn't have a lot of, of property being built. So has that changed since the pandemic? Did you have a lot of builders start building properties or maybe they were already on the cusp of of starting properties and just got backlogged because of supply sh- shortages and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, yeah,
2: yeah, definitely uh, huge supply shortages and huge demand. So builders, it, it was I do a lot of new construction. And it's almost half of my business um, because that's where the available inventory was. But uh, builders were excited. You know, in 2020, they had all these buyers they were selling at way too fast of a rate that they could actually construct them. Um, And then obviously, with all the supply issues that we had, that was an extra problem. Um, So they started pulling things back in 2021. They started only selling spec homes. You weren't allowed to pick anything out in your house anymore. They would start selling them when they got to a certain point in construction, um, so they weren't starting from scratch cause it was way too hard for them to time them whenever they were starting, um, uh, you know, starting before pre-construction. And, uh, so that, so everything changed with builders and building, uh, kind of on a month to month basis. And, um, from a neighborhood to neighborhood basis, it was a lot to keep up with. Um, but that is where a lot of our inventory was because, sellers weren't selling their house. People weren't leaving Florida in the same rate that they were coming in. So we were looking to builders to fill this void, which was good and bad. I have absolute horror stories from those years um, trying to build with builders. And actually uh, one of the, the worst things is happening now. And to piggyback on, you know, all the talk that we have on interest rates now, I have uh, a handful of buyers who went under contract with builders in mid 2021 to late 2021 have been under contract for you know 12 to 18 months at this point while the builders have been slowly building their house meanwhile the interest rates have more than doubled on them and these are end loans they weren't construction loans so they haven't locked anything in and they can't lock anything in and when I I mean it is a huge stress on these particular buyers who just were not predicting, the uh, interest rates to go up that much. They just didn't know. I mean, we're talking yeah. May of last year that they went under contract. And, they wouldn't have thought that. And what, are you,
0: what are you seeing those buyers do now? Are they closing on these properties or are, are you having buyers cancel? Because I mean, they, ha-
2: they yeah. have to close or they lose their 10% deposit. And that that was what builders learned in the, the first downturn in 05 and 06. Our deposits weren't that much. So you would have people walk away from new construction all the time back then, but now they're smarter. All of my buyers have 10% down. So they don't want, I mean, that was what was required. You're in a multiple offer situation with a builder. A builder could have asked for anything in May of 2021 and, and got it from a buyer who was excited to have a new house. They were promised it in 12 months and it's 18 months later. Um, so that is, that is a a unique issue that I'm having right now. Um, and you know, most builder contracts here are built with a two-year buffer. So they have two years to build your house. That's never, you know, that's not normally what happens. So, you know, we don't really look at that and think, oh, that should be lower to protect you. That was kind of just standard, you know, breeze right by it in the contract before. So, yeah.
0: Now you mentioned something, Josh. You need to jump in here. I feel like this is a a, a one-on-one here. Mm-hmm. Um, th- you mentioned something about spec homes. So spec homes, mm-hmm. you know, for those aren't listening, are this is a builder not building, you know, a a, a, a whole community. I assume of of homes uh, unless they have somebody under contract. So they're building these as they as they come up. So are you having like communities where there's a bunch of homes sitting? empty and they're completed, or is everything that's coming to your market essentially under contract and it's already accounted for?
2: So we're still working through what's under contract. Um, what I think will be interesting to see is moving into next year, because the same amount of buyers aren't you know, flooding the builder's model homes right now. So they're building, They there was a neighborhood I was in actually in Wesley Chapel, north of Tampa, and it's just road after road of houses that are not under contract yet, but they're not really to the point that they, they would be marketing them. Um, so I think that's going to be a 2023 phenomenon, especially in the beginning parts um, where uh, builders are going to have a decent amount of inventory and they're going to have to cut their prices a little bit. Um, but for right now, we're still kind of working through what is under contract.
1: You know, one of the things we talk about a lot here on the show is I'm I'm less concerned with home prices and more concerned with affordability. Home prices are obviously a big component of that, but the thing that's kind of thrown things out of whack this year is, as you said, somewhere around three percent at the turn of the year, and now we're sitting somewhere around seven percent. That's more than a hundred percent increase in the interest rates. For you guys in in the Tampa St. Pete Clearwater market right now, it's the twelfth least affordable uh, on. In terms of the measure of percentage of borrowers um, above a 36% debt to income ratio, are you seeing much of an impact? We talk about a lot about the difference between willing and able demand. We never have a lack in California, and I suppose probably not in Tampa either, of willing buyers, people who would love to own a home. We start running out of able buyers when we have interest rates this high, pushing prices higher. Are you seeing much of an impact in your market on that?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of, uh, of our market right now is it's not that there's what I'm seeing more than anything is it's not that there's not able buyers out there is there's not willing buyers. Um, so everyone it's like a standoff right now between buyers and sellers and everyone's just waiting for somebody to blink. Um, I have a listing that's in a fantastic neighborhood. It's a fairly new home and there's three sets of buyers just circling this house, but no one will pull the trigger. Everyone's just very gun shy right now. Um, I don't necessarily other than in the first time home buyer market place, I'm not really seeing a lot of buyers that aren't able to, they just don't want to because They are still looking back at, you know, just a year ago in rates being in the twos. So it just feels very unfair for them. Um, And I think that's really what we're hearing more than anything. We have a decent amount of people coming to the area and our price point is much lower than yours. So our housing affordability was better in general. Um, It is definitely worse now. Um, but when it comes to affordability, the conversation that I have with my buyers a lot is, is more than just interest rates. It is um, homeowners insurance and property taxes here in Florida. So we have a lot of things that contribute to um, the affordability for people. And you know, the principal and interest is really just a portion of it. Um, for our home buyers, we have a, a major homeowner insurance issue here in Florida, um, not helped by you know Nicole swirling out there in in going to hit the East Coast today, and then obviously Hurricane Ian that devastated um, Southwest Florida um, two months ago. So. Um, so that's only going to be more of a a challenge. So that's a lot of the conversation that I have with people. I think as interest rates continue to stay where they are or go up a little bit, or maybe go down a little bit, like anything else, people get used to it. And that just becomes what they have to do, but people just don't want to do it right now. That is the biggest hesitation with buyers.
0: No, I get it. I mean, it's. I mean I I had I, I just I talked about this last week I think Josh is is the the seller that I had here I mean it's you know he put his house on the market it's listed at 425 it's been on the market 2 weeks 2 weeks very little time to, for a house to be on the market especially a condo this side it's a one bedroom condo not a lot of people in the market generally are searching for one bedroom condos just a lack of demand if you will in general for a, for a one bedroom and then you're you're in a, an environment where there's high rates, so we price it what we think it's worth 425. 25. It's on the market two weeks. The very first offer that comes in comes in at 395, so that's thir- you know thirty thousand dollars less than where where we're listed, um, which is what I mean. What's the the that's five seven percent less that, than the asking price there, something like that. And I already talked to the agent, and I I have a conversation with the agent, and I say. You know, um, clients probably not gonna accept 395. We've been on the market a couple of weeks, we're having showings, you know, typical conversation with the agent. Agent says, Look, I get it. This is just where my client want to start. Just send us a counter, right? So I go back to my client and say, Hey, all cash offer, two-week close, um, listed at 395. He says, I'll take it. I go, Whoa, let's slow down. Like we we can counter them higher, we can get more money. Um, you know, I've already had a conversation with the agent. They're likely willing to go higher. Um, probably didn't expect to accept their initial offer. And he goes, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I was like, that's essentially what you're hiring me as the professional to help you get the most amount of money. And this is what I recommend sending the counter offer to sign. We are going to counter back at four fifteen. He calls me 10 minutes later says, you know what? I changed my mind. Let's just accept it. I'm like, you realize you're leaving 15 to $20,000 on the table. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm like, okay. So w- the reason I bring that up is because there are sellers out there that 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 have this panic mode if you will. Now, this isn't a primary home for him. It's a it's a rental property. He's owned it for 18 years or 20 years or something like that. He just he wanted the cash. So, he's willing to let leave money on the table if you will to to confirm that he can get a deal and and move very very fast. And he could have probably still done that at a higher price, but Are you seeing any opportunities like that in your market? Um, And and had you asked me outside of this scenario, would I have said that you could just go offer 7% less and get an offer? Except that I probably said, probably not. The only reason I know of this one is because I was involved in it and I know all sides of it. But are you seeing any discounts in, in, like when I say discount, I'm not talking about prices crashing, but I'm saying relative to where you think it should sell, any opportunities?
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's refreshing because we're having normal real estate conversations and normal real estate negotiations. It's like it's like everyone forgot those existed. Um, uh, I love your scenario. Um, it, for basically, he wasn't willing to take the risk for fifteen thousand dollars. It was you know he's would rather just have it sold, right. which I'm assuming was a very calculated uh, risk for him he probably had made a lot of money, I will assume on that. You know, if you're looking at even houses, house prices here, if someone has equity of, you know, 30% or so in their house, then, you know, taking a little bit less just to be done and not have to show the house is, is worth it uh, for a lot of people. What we're seeing um, as far as price reductions here, um, not necessarily huge price reductions On good properties, there's a very big difference in our market between the properties that were overpriced because their condition is terrible and then properties that are uh, priced well um, in good condition. We still are seeing houses sell, um, certainly not at even remotely the pace that they were selling before, but now the terrible houses are not selling. They are going down in price constantly. And frankly, I, I don't have a problem with that. Right. Um, You know, for too long, sellers were putting crap on the market and saying, pay me top dollar for it and don't do an inspection. You know, and I don't like that for my buyers. Um, I was with buyers yesterday and we saw four homes and absolutely none of them were in the condition that they should be for the price that they were asking. So those homes are having significant price decreases. Um, But we also have scenarios where if you're in. You know, within walking distance to one of our cities, and it's in good condition, it will sell, you know, in the first two weeks and maybe uh, two to 5% discount. But 5% discounts, you know, back in the day when we used to negotiate, were kind of normal. That's where we would start. So, um, uh, the other thing, and, you know, talking to Josh, uh, the other thing that we're seeing because our um, appraisals are still coming in really high because they're using comps from you know the peak pricing. Um, we have a, a lot of people just uh, negotiating closing costs in as opposed to negotiating the price down. So you know the buy downs are big now here, and um, and that's really what I prep all my sellers for is you're either going to ask for a price reduction and uh, money towards buy down, or you're going to ask for both or one or the other. No, I mean,
1: go ahead, yeah. It, 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 it's a really it's an important discussion because. It, you're you're kind of paying for it all one way or the other and we're coming off two years that were highly abnormal there was negotiation consisted of who is going to pay me the most for my house so i mean and it sounds crazy and it it was but literally for two years i don't know that i had anything come in less than than what it was listed for even ugly houses so as you said we're definitely seeing here in our market the ugly stuff. Good good luck with that. There's there's nice houses that sellers are willing to to work with you a little bit, but to both of you guys, as as an agent, if you know there's there's some money on the table there, would you advise a client to take the price reduction um, to cover their closing costs and not have any sunk costs in their loan? Or look at paying for the the buy down. I mean, these are all real costs to the buyer. Once that money is on the table, whether it's five thousand, fifteen thousand dollars, whatever that seller concession is, it's just how are you going to allocate it? Um, I have some personal opinions on this, but how do you guys look at that in terms of advising a client in which route to go?
0: I mean, I I think we know. I mean, I I would I would try to get the seller instead of reducing the price, get the buyer to take the credit um, just because it, it's going to affect the seller less typically, um, you know, that you're going to be able to get the the payment down, uh, easier using some sort of buy down money towards closing costs versus actually lowering the purchase price. Um, now, as far as how the buyer uses that money, that's, that's on them, whether they want to do a temporary buy down or a permanent buy down or what have you. I mean, that's really where I'd say you, you gotta be, you know, make sure you're working with a professional, Um, and, and, and knowing the difference. And I think that's a big thing right now, Josh is that, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little off topic here because I'm throwing it back to your way and we'll let Melanie jump in before you answer, but there's a lot of people that are advising, you know, the temporary versus the permanent. And I think it's, it's a miss, not a misunderstanding, but. I don't know that enough people in your profession truly know the benefits of each and when a client should be choosing one over the other.
2: I don't think what, a lot what, of people in our profession really know no, <laughs> the difference uh, and, and how to explain it uh, because you know you and I understand buy downs, and, uh, but not a lot of buyer's agents do. So they don't even know to offer them and they don't understand that they can you know negotiate that in there and that might help the buyer. Um, in you know the first couple of years, just feel a little bit better about it, and hopefully have a chance to refinance. But but we don't know that. That's my biggest hesitation with buy downs. Is you know I think uh, lenders, at least around here, they they keep putting you know, things out that say interest rates are going to go down, you know, hopefully in the second quarter of next year. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that is the last thing I want to put out there because we don't know that. Um, I mean, maybe you do, Josh, if you do, if you could let me know, that would be fantastic. But
1: yeah, yeah, well, what I was going to say is that cool. So let's say you think that and you have very valid reasons for thinking that we still have to plan for the worst. Like, right plan as though there is no refinance out there. And, and let's believe what, what the logic tells us and where the numbers are going. And it could be longer than, than what we think it's going to be.
0: No. And, and, and being in all transparency here, Melanie, Josh and I both didn't think rates would get this high and, or stay at this high this long. So, um, asking us about interest rates at the moment, probably, <laughs> you know, uh, I, we're going to have Nobody's comments in. here in the, in the chat here in a minute with enough people telling us that we were wrong about, uh, about everything but we obviously well, didn't no, know yeah nobody was did i
2: mean i have josh's in my or, life you know. too and absolutely none of them thought interest rates were going to be where they are today so um you know that that took us all by surprise it, it goes back to you know my buyers under contract with new construction no no one thought that i i mean imagine what it would have sounded like if we were here a year ago saying interest rates are going to be over seven percent next year that'd have thought we were crazy
0: no, so. <laughs> absolutely. They would have. And then one thing I hate that's going around is is the marry the rate or date the house, whatever the hell that marry the is.
2: house, date the rate. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like it drives me nuts Divorce because
2: the landlord that's the yeah. Only.
0: Like what is going on here with it? Because it's, we don't, like you said, we don't know what's going to happen with rates and maybe rates do come down a little bit, but maybe they don't come down low enough to actually make that you know, it worth it in the next two years. So you got to be, if you're buying a house now, you've got to, again, longer term time horizon, you know, make sure you're, you're, you know, buying for the right reasons. You have money in the bank. I mean, that's, that hasn't changed. That, that message has always been the same message for as long as I've been in real estate. It's always, it's just one of those things that you've got to pay a little bit more attention to now, just because of how much appreciation we've saw. you know, in, in such a short period of time. Um, so, so who, are your buyers right now, Melanie, are, are these people first time home buyers? Um, or are they, buyer, are, are we, you know, some of this new construction, are they people that migrated from another state waiting for it to build? Or are they downsizing boomers? I mean, what, what type of buyer is that market in Tampa?
2: Um... All of the above. We have uh, a very diverse uh, geographical area, from beaches that uh, tend to appeal, obviously, to second-time homebuyers uh, and vacationers. So, and then we have suburban places, which tend to appeal to move-up buyers and uh, people coming from different states with kids, and um, and and everything in between. First-time homebuyers, um, th- you know, they're my favorite people to work with, uh, but they are the most challenging right now because a lot of them are just uh, having a difficult time affording it. So uh, back to the affordability issue. I did, however, have a very wonderful first time home buyer. Um, uh, about two months ago, they closed. Um, they paid in the sixes for their uh, interest rate. They were happy to do it. They saved, they did everything that they should do and uh, they got their house. And I see them every day on social media, enjoying their house. And so, you know, they're still out there. They just have to prepare. Um, I think the quality of buyer is a little is lower, you know, the people that definitely were not getting houses before are out there kind of, you know, the quality of seller quality of buyer, everything is a little strange right now. Um, And when I mean quality of buyer, obviously, I don't mean there's anything wrong with them as people. Um, But, you know, maybe just need to ask for a lot more in a contract that sellers just aren't willing to give them yet. Um, because they haven't quite figured out that things are, are going down, um, or that, you know, they've slowed down quite as much as they have. So, um, in this time, you know, we talk about seasonality a lot, but this, I always consider the fall, um, kind of my farming season for next year. So like today and yesterday, I was with buyers who will probably buy next year. They're down here during our wonderful fall weather, except for the tropical storm, um, looking to figure out what neighborhoods they want to live in, you know, what type of house they want to live in. And we kind of do the prep work at this time of the year. And then they come back down in um, our high season, which is January through April. And they find a house, you know, if you can find a house to buy right now, it's a great time to buy. But I'm telling you, the inventory that's there is not that great. So that's, that's a challenge that we're having. If anybody does actually need to buy right now.
0: No, that's I mean, that's that's good information. Uh, I mean, to know for, for I mean, what I will say is that if you looked at my market similar in, in in the fact that the ugly homes, the inferior homes, um, you know, inferior location properties, they're sitting right. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are still overpriced to start with. So you add that piece on top of it. But the homes that are again. next to the beach that are a good location that are priced right, that are nicely remodeled turnkey model homes still selling. And some of them over asking price, multiple offers. So it is, it's a mix of, of multiple types of, of, um, almost expectations in what people are going to get those that understand what they're getting, um, what they're buying, what they've been looking for, if it's there, those people are still buyers. Whereas the people that are, you know, kind of the, the hesitation wondering what's going to happen if, when this, that, that sort of thing, those are the people that are probably going to be sitting for, for a period of time until, you know, either something breaks, rates go up, rates come down, more people sell, whatever happens, those people are, you know, and, and, and this is going to sound really bad, but these are the people that I were was working with sometime in 2019 that still haven't bought a house, right? Because it was never the perfect everything for them, for them to pull the trigger. And that's not all the buyers right now, but there's a lot of them out there waiting for the perfect opportunity. And, you know, from my experience that, that perfect opportunity never, never actually comes.
2: Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. Um, you were talking about something before I came on, you were talking about, um, New construction and um, that being where the deals are and and I have advised that uh, a couple times to people already. Um, Lennar, which is one of our biggest, uh, I'll call them value home uh, home builders here, um, their fiscal year ends at the end of November, and that is a huge. Like deal for them. They have to close a lot of houses before the end of November. So um, anyone who is in the market in the Tampa area, if they want kind of the best deal that we have found in new construction, I will bring them to Lenar. Now I have a lot to say about construction quality and things like that, that I won't get into. Um, But then, you know, obviously the end of the, the actual year in December, there's not a lot of other builders. So we are seeing in new construction things from zero incentives or, you know, $5,000 towards closing costs if you use their lender to now, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in buy-down credits and even price reductions on houses that are sitting. So for first-time homebuyers and builders tend to be a lot more um, uh, easier to work with for first-time home buyers. They're not afraid of FHA loans and VA loans and all that stuff. So um, that is typically where first-time home buyers end up. Here, the problem is that it is just farther away from our city centers. Our new construction is sprawling. It's you know 40 minutes north of the city, or 35 minutes south. So you have to be okay with that. But it's a great way to get into the market.
0: Now, and when you say a, like an opportunity, for example, on that, what are we talking about price-wise, like where it was versus where it is now?
2: Like, um,
0: and it doesn't have to be exact, just trying to get an idea.
2: <laughs> well, I can give you a range and it'll be exact mm-hmm. in that range. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I can find houses now uh, pretty decent, mm, probably 1,700 square foot single family homes in the mid threes for people if they're willing to go far north. Yeah. Um, or far south, we still have a lot of land in this area. And uh, you know, I think that gets overlooked. Um, to the north and to the south, uh, we have just farmland. And then as you go into the center of the state, there's not a lot uh, of housing developments there either. So you can merge Sarasota and Tampa via all of these small cities, and there's a lot of room to build. So And a lot of uh, bullish outlooks from builders in the last couple of years. So they have bought a lot of land, um and uh they are building a lot of houses like i said earlier we're not seeing you know this huge glut of inventory yet but i think come next year there will be a lot more opportunities uh for new construction deals one yeah. of the
1: things for for first-time buyers that can be difficult with uh, with new construction is the costs once they get in window coverings, landscaping if front and backyard aren't covered. Are you seeing builders in your area helping out in that way so that that FHA buyer who can scrape up their three and a half percent is getting some seller concessions to cover their costs? They don't have to move in and, and have an unfinished backyard or tinfoil on the windows for a, a while <laughs> before they can afford to do that.
2: Yeah, I love that observation. Um, there, A lot of our more value builders actually offer uh, full home packages with blinds and fans and everything. And that's been something that they've done for a long Long time, Lennar and DR Horton um, to uh, their their lowest end products tend to have all that stuff included. Um, we have landscaping in the front and the back of all of our new construction homes. It is really funny for me though when people come from other states and they ask about grass. I'm like, uh, there is grass. There'll be grass. Yeah, no, <laughs> here in California,
0: you get you get the house. That's what oh, the house. That's it. You get the house and you get uh, a sidewalk leading to the front door, and that's about the extent of yeah. it.
2: Well, it's, I mean, in that is a conversation though I have to have with a lot of buyers because it's that mid-level buyer, that six or five hundred to like $800,000 buyer who buys a new house and it doesn't come with blinds or a refrigerator or um, fans or anything like that. And then they have to go spend all that money. I just had that conversation a couple of days ago with somebody. Um, it, and that's a lot. I mean, it definitely adds up. As far as builders um, helping out with that, um, back in the day, I used to ask for those things as part of negotiation. If you go really far back in my library, you'll find a new construction video that has, you know, this is how you negotiate with builders. You can ask them for refrigerators instead of asking them for price reductions. Well, that went away. Um, you know, And so now we probably will be getting back to those types of things. Because as we all know, builders don't like to lower their prices, but they will give you things in secret. So
0: no, always, always good to know. I mean, like for example, in, in, the, in the heyday back here, the builders didn't even want to work with us as agents. Right. So they would cut any compensation. They would basically make it very difficult to, 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 you know, bring your buyers in whatever. And then we, and now like they're sending me emails every day about, you know, the compensation they're offering or whatever. And we don't have a lot of new construction around here. And like you mentioned, they're kind of on the outskirts of, of where the population is, but even here they're, they're looking for, uh, for, for agents to, to bring in buyers and bring in opportunities. Absolutely.
2: Same thing here. We had 1%, um, $2,500. I think I closed one for like $5,000. I think that was the lowest one that I did. Um, I, I think the, If you are a real estate agent in the Tampa area and you took out new construction because of what they were paying you, you lost a major opportunity to create relationships with clients um, and and builders for that that matter. Um, That was always one of my biggest focuses. Um, One, because I'm just a construction nerd in general and I love doing it. And uh, two, because that was where the inventory was. So what most people didn't ever realize is that whenever you do a couple different uh, builds with these builders, they will pay you more. It was, you know, on a sliding scale, but most people couldn't get past the fact that it said 1% instead of, you know, taking their clients there. So, um, but there's a lot of real estate agents in Florida that probably shouldn't be. So
0: no, that's everywhere. Melanie, that's everywhere. Um,
2: Uh, Are we reading this question? Yeah, we're we're going to read this question. Okay, we're going to read this question. With new
0: construction homes, um, are they still requiring to pay $30,000 in earnest money? So I don't know if Pulte is uh, your market or if that's our market here. Um, I know they're in our market, but back to your question uh, that you or your comment that you mentioned earlier when they were requiring the 10% down uh, deposit, is that still the case or are they flexible now that the market's changing?
2: Um I you know it's been a while actually uh so because most buyers haven't really gone under contract in the last couple of months I would say builders are uh more flexible on just about everything right now. Um gotcha. the the 10% might not be flexible uh but I would certainly think so with most builders that it would be. So to, to answer Julie's question yes Pulte is um a builder here. Um, th- every neighborhood uh, was requiring different things. So it's hard for me to answer that in general as far as the 30,000 is concerned. Um, but I would assume that if that was, you know, a 10%, that was probably somewhere far north of here. And um, uh, I, I don't know yet. It, it's so Everything depends on the, the builder and the neighborhood and, you know, what you can negotiate. It would, uh, it would definitely be in your best interest to negotiate that. If that's not what you want to do. And frankly, I wouldn't recommend anybody putting 10% down right now no. based on what I'm seeing.
0: Good stuff. Uh, so Melanie, this is where we transition. We're going to start answering some questions. Um, you're welcome to stay on. You're welcome to continue chatting, have fun, conversations, answer what you want, jump in. Well, in here and there. Or... You can go enjoy. Can we your start drinking? Water. Oh, absolutely. Know that you can do, do that the whole time. <laughs> I'm not prepared.
2: I was drinking water and said, Oh, and I was corrected. Apparently, it is a hurricane now. So Nicole. well, you
0: know, we don't we don't take corrections very well on this channel. So we just continue to to say what we want to say, even if it's wrong. Um, Great. well,
2: I'll so, stay on for a little bit. I have there you nothing go. to do.
0: All right. Awesome. So, Josh, let's hit some questions here. Um, I saw one that was directed towards you that I'm gonna Throw up here says if I have an extra at the end of the month, if I have an extra, I don't know, uh, is it better to pay down principal or save for a future refinance or put in an index fund 500k loan 6.6 interest rate 30 year fix so just to the question should you be paying down your principal more or keeping the money for another opportunity.
1: Well, we talked the last few years when rates were two and a half, three and a half percent, it's kind of silly to pay it down at 6.6%. It's a reasonable return on your money. My first question before I make an answer on this would be how much do you have in other reserves? If you don't have a nice chunk of savings set aside, then I would build up that reserve fund. And you have to decide what that looks like. Is that six months of living expenses, 12 months of living expenses that you have in a liquid account before you look at at paying it down? You always, as you said in the question here, you always have that opportunity to take that money and pay it down later um, after you've accumulated some more. You have a chunk. You're not obviously not getting the savings of of not paying the interest on it while it's sitting in another account. But uh, I would lean towards building up a nice account before even considering paying it down. So if you already have that, And your comfort level is in the guaranteed return on the 6.6% net of any tax deductions that you have versus investing otherwise, then it it comes down to being a personal decision. I would prefer to have the money liquid and invested elsewhere, but it's a totally reasonable decision um, for someone who's on the more conservative end of the spectrum or not super comfortable investing that they would put the money uh, towards the extra principal payment.
0: Yeah, and then you could also put that money into something, you know, get that six point six percent return, um, you know, or or whatever the return is, an I bond or or whatever you decide to do. And at which point you have some some money in there, you could take it and pay down the principal on your loan and potentially get a recast on your loan and have the whole thing reset at a lower rate. Is that an option, Josh? Is that something yeah. that's reasonable to consider? Absolutely. So
1: again, if you're accumulating it and then making a large payment, you're not saving the interest in the meantime. So you want to make sure you have an alternative where you're comfortable. But you mentioned the I-bonds. If you're at 6.6%, You can put, you know, 10 grand away in the the I bonds and get a better return than that for the next 12 months and then kind of see where you're at. Is there a refinance opportunity? Are rates still high and you would like to pay that down? Um, It gives you a little more flexibility. I just like to see people with the cash cushion with affordability at the current levels. We have a lot of clients liquidating a lot of their assets to get into a property, and it's nice to have some reserve to fall back on once you get into the home.
0: All right, Melanie. This one's going to be you because I don't know where Milton, Florida, is, and I always I don't know this where question. Milton,
2: Florida, is. <laughs> well, Christ I always love this coming.
0: question anyway. It's it's it's, it's who's they're buying houses. Sure it's you know, who's right. buying houses in Florida, Melanie?
2: Oh my gosh, I got that question so much. Um, well, one it was people from California, um, and uh, two people from the Northeast, and I guess three Midwest. Um, you know, I I think it was. It was depending on who you hang out with and who you associate with. There was a lot of people that felt like nobody had any money the last couple of years, but a lot of people had a lot of money um, and they spent it on houses. And so it was surprising to me how much money people would come down with, but they were coming down with a tremendous amount of equity. Anyone who bought pre COVID was sitting on a lot of cash that they were willing to throw at other houses. Um, And anyone, you know, that's looking at Florida prices uh, I think our prices were very depressed here for a long time. We had we were majorly crushed in the last downturn and our house prices were our average house prices were very very low. I mean in the Tampa Bay area in October of 2018 our average sales price was $261,000. To you guys in California, that probably sounds crazy, but that was four years ago. So anyone who has lived in Tampa or Florida, for that matter, anywhere in Florida, even four years ago, remembers when things were so much more affordable. So it is really, really different for people now that are used to what prices used to be.
0: No. And you had a lot of people that were, you know, going back to the people having cash and having money. A lot of people sold and were able to get more for their house than they thought they were going to get to begin with. And they were willing to pay more for a house than they probably wanted to pay just because they had some excess money. And we saw a lot of people, again, do very well, not just in housing, but in the stock market and in other places during that uh, during that two year stint uh of the yeah. pandemic. So there was a lot of money floating around. It
2: was fun money for them. I mean they they genuinely didn't think they were going to have an extra hundred thousand dollars.
0: No. So agreed.
2: they were just like fine we'll we'll pay extra for this house. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, one one of the things that we don't talk enough about here is how different the market is for a first-time buyer versus a move-up buyer. (laughs) Now, move-up buyers are concerned with uh, affordability because the interest rate is so different than what they're looking at. But if you're able to get a rate very similar to what you have on your current home, that the price point doesn't matter as much to you. If you bought a home for 300 it went up to 600 and you're looking at moving up to 800 you have a chunk of equity, and you're going to make a nice down payment. Now, if you're leaving behind a 3% interest rate and taking out a 7% interest rate, that's what we're, we're seeing right now. But the, the calculus of should I buy or should I move is very different for uh, a homeowner versus a first-time buyer. First-time buyer has to calculate that entry point and be a, a lot more careful with what they're doing than the move up or move down buyers.
0: No, good stuff. And, yeah. and Julie, uh, this was her first comment. She she welcomed Mellon to the show and said, uh, with the public service loan forgiveness and student loan forgiveness, will it hurt my chances of buying if my student loan debt is forgiven, Josh? So student loan debt is forgiven. What do you need to be able to show a lender to confirm that so that it doesn't count?
1: Well, we've never seen it happen. So once once it actually comes through, um, the expectation would obviously be that there's no negative reporting. It's essentially being washed away by the government. Now, the thing that's important to remember is student loans are issued by private issuers but insured by the government. So if this comes to be, the government is going to have to make those investors whole um, there's nothing there that should have a negative impact on your credit. The public servant uh, loan forgiveness, um, all of that stuff is is going to impact your qualifications. The big thing we've seen post COVID is with the CARES Act forbearance, everything's reported as a zero payment. Most lenders will not use a zero payment, so you have to go back to your servicer and document what that PSLF payment. Uh, would have been or what the IBR, the IDR, repay, pay, whatever they're calling, whatever program you're on, we have to document what that payment is to be able to use that payment because it's not being reported on your credit report. But in terms of forgiveness, nothing there should be a negative to you. So if and when that comes to be, that would be my expectation. But until it happens, it's really just an educated guess.
0: Now, good, good. Uh, Jen is here, Melanie. So welcome, Jen. Thanks for being here. Hi, John. Uh, question. Dina says, how do you determine the true value of a house or a property? You would have to ask an appraiser only question mark. So, you know, I'll throw this your way. Uh, Melanie, when you're when you're trying to figure out the value of a property, say for now, you know, are you going to Zillow or Redfin? I know the answer is no, but um, <laughs> are you what are you doing with comps? Right. Because comps are um, skewed high skewed high, right? From three months ago or four months ago, kind of like you mentioned, you know, appraisals are still coming in high. So how are you trying to figure out the value or helping a seller understand where the market is at the moment?
2: That's a fantastic question. I just had this conversation with sellers yesterday. Um, it is, uh, it's not as much of a science right now, uh, because we can't just look at comps and say, this is what it will sell for. Um, for the most part we're uh, coming up with a list prices based on obviously what things sold for. We might look back a little bit farther um, you know to a couple you know typically I would look maybe three months back. Now I'm looking 18, maybe a year back and seeing what prices were back then um, to you know kind of figure out that range. but more than anything, we're just trying to price things at, a, a, a range where they're not overpriced. I think that's, that's my goal is to not overprice anything. Um, so yes, it feels a little bit low in comparison to the highest comps in the neighborhood, but as long as it's not reading abnormally high to buyers, they're still coming out to look at them. And as we all know, the only person who really determines the value of the house is a ready, willing and able buyer. Mm-hmm. So as long as we're getting people in the door, based on, you know, looking at the comps and kind of going back from there, then the buyers are then determining the, the true market value of the house. But it is, yeah. it is difficult right now.
1: It's, yeah. it's really difficult. And you guys think, think about this. When we had the market going nuts for two years, the appraisers didn't have the data to keep up with it. When you have 10, we, we talked about this repeatedly. When you have 10 buyers lining up willing to get into a bidding process and the highest bidder, that is the market price and the value of that home, regardless of whether an appraiser has the value to support it. Now, on the flip side, if you're seeing stagnant prices or prices dropping, now a buyer has to be really careful because they go, well, the appraiser appraised it for that. It has to be worth it. The appraiser is just someone analyzing data according to a predetermined set of principles. So if... The market is dropping. They may look and have data that supports whatever value you agreed to pay. That doesn't mean that's what it it actually is. If you are the only buyer, there's no one else out there and you're the only one bidding. It can be hard to know exactly where that value is. And that's where you and your real estate professional have to sit back and go, What's the trend in the market? What have we seen over the last 90 days? Where was the last sale? How does that home compare to this one? That's really where you guys earn your stripes. You know, the last few years, it was how how do you win a bidding war? Now it's how do you arrive at an accurate price that will, um, you know, induce the seller to actually sell the property, but make sure you're not overpaying for it. It's much more difficult in the current market than, than it was then. When you have an auction, the auction sets the value for the home. We don't have that right now.
0: No, and and I still believe you can't underprice a home. Um, I believe that there's still willing, able, ready buyers that are looking for property in neighborhoods. Um, you know, if if homes are priced correctly, they're going they're still going to get an offer. Um, but it's 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 not like you said, it's not the craziness that we've seen over the last couple of years where people are or paying overpaying for property and and waiving everything. It's more normal. It's it's what we're used to. And again, I talk about it all the time. People have very, very short memories when it comes to real estate. And it is, you know, they only remember what happened the last two years. It's funny. When I go back and watch some of these videos that I filmed in 2017, 2018, it was like these are the things that we were talking about in a normal market. And it's we're back to that, guys. And it's um and you're just going to continue to see more of it. So
2: yeah. Um, uh, I mean, let's just see. talking about the normal market, like our inventory in compared to 2019, you would ask that, um, we have 356 homes less on the market this month in comparison to the same month in 2019. So it's the exact same, essentially amount of houses that we were selling in 2019. Now we didn't have 7% interest rates in right. 2019. So yeah. that's the difference.
0: no. And it's a big difference. It is. I mean, we're <laughs> yes. not we're not trying we're not trying to sugarcoat that. Uh so guys, we've been on an hour. Um, it is going to be that time when I ask you guys to hit the thumbs up if you found any value tonight, if you like Melanie being here. Um, you can also find her uh on YouTube at Melanie Loves Tampa Bay. Her handle is in the description of the video. She's on social media as well, um, on Instagram, TikTok too, TikTok.
2: You want uh, I can't get, I, I, I love TikTok? watching it, but I haven't done it TikTok. yet. So. It's all <laughs> Not good. in any meaningful way, Facebook, of all of that. those
0: places. So, so make sure you, you, you guys check her out there. And then, um, if you guys haven't listened to the latest episode of the educated home buyer, go check that out on the podcast this week. We talk about 10 red flags to look for if you're getting a loan, um, what you should look for when you're talking to a lender like Josh, you know, what conversations that you're having. What you should be listening to, what you should pay attention to, the questions you should be asking yourself, maybe another lender if you're getting multiple quotes, just to make sure you're getting the best deal possible. So, check that out Um, while you're out there searching the internet and looking for things to do. So, Melanie, if you're going to stay with us, we're going to get to another question here. Let's see another one. Yeah, another this is Tampa question. Yeah. Okay. Requesting broker price opinion in Tampa to drop PMI. Uh, bought in November of 2020, is there any way I should prep or stage my house? What do they look or care about? Josh, you can probably add to this too.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not supposed to look or care about anything, but, um, you know, just like when we have appraisers, I mean, obviously a BPO is, is similar. Um, I always tell you to, or my sellers to make the house look like it's show ready. I mean, they're humans. So if the house looks great and smells great and everything else, then it's, it's psychologically Yep. I don't know. You tell me Josh has it been proven that that appraisers will uh uh value something a little bit higher if it's in clean?
1: I I've never seen the empirical data but it's it's logical, right? I mean, yeah. you can have the the same exact house but one's just messy, dishes piled up and it's you guys would be shocked. That's what we should do. One of these shows, Jeb is pull out like the most absurd appraisal photos you've ever seen. My wife's also a wholesale account executive and she would send stuff over. Like I, I, I just can't believe that someone would have an appraiser out to give an uh, evaluation of their home and wouldn't do anything like the bare bones minimum. Um, so it, it's perfectly logical that there's going to be some impact. It shouldn't. The house is what it is. And someone should be able to see through whether you have uh, red vinyl furniture, or whether you have the most beautiful couch ever, you know, that shouldn't come into play. They're supposed to be looking at what would the the market value this property at, but human nature, they tell you it, it's hard to see through uh, ugly.
2: No. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would hope that they would be able to get that. Uh, so she could drop the PMI on that. 2020 was, you know, a, a long, a lot of value. added away. since then. Yeah, yeah. A lot of value yeah. added since then. No, what, no. what
1: would it be in, in Tampa? For, so in the last 24 months, how much would, in general, if we're so, just generalizing on your market?
2: So we had just in, in Tampa specifically, it went up about 20% uh, year over year. Um, and then 17% uh, year over year before then. So um, a lot, you know, we're yeah. looking at, you know, 30, 30 percent. something percent. So yeah, if, if she had a FHA loan or something like that, then hopefully she can get her 5% down. She should be able to get that value in.
1: And the important part for, for those of you watching at home, she's saying she bought in November of 2020. It's a critical timeframe, uh, on a conventional loan, the lender can require you to have mortgage insurance for the, for the first two years. Melanie just gave us the numbers. There's probably been 20% equity in that property for over a year, Mm -hmm. but the lender was saying, cool, you got to have that, that PMI for two years. Now you've hit that point, get the BPO and get it removed.
2: I think she brings up a really good point though. And Josh, if uh, you could talk about this for my own knowledge, um, Is This is a a good way to, or maybe something to bring up with our clients in order to help their affordability for people that did buy in 2020, um, or even early 2021, if they can get rid of that PMI, they probably have more equity and no one's probably talking to them about that
1: it's hopefully your your real estate professional and your mortgage professional are staying in contact with you checking in at least a couple times a year and having sort of an annual review or a checkup and making you aware of the the changes and things that you can benefit from the crazy thing it's not so crazy with rates you know from 2018 through 2021 trending down and being at low levels, we had a ton of people that would just refinance. It's easier than going back to the appraiser if it's less than, or going back to the lender. If it's less than two years, you weren't even eligible, but you could come back after six months and use the appraised value to do a new loan. Now, obviously, no one's giving up even a 5% interest rate to refinance right now, um, but these opportunities are out there, and we want to do it and, and take advantage of the the valuations that are out there right now to, to get rid of it. Um, and it, we get this question probably, what, Jeb, once a month? Someone says, what what are the guidelines for doing it? When does it come off? If you wait, it's when you get to 78% of the original value. If you wait, it's value, going to be a long time it's gonna be a long time because you're you're in the early years, you're paying mostly interest and not a lot of principal and they don't account any appreciation. So whether there is appreciation or not, none is accounted for in that it's when you get to 78% of the original appraised value on your loan balance. So it's gonna be a long time, but a lot of people are in that situation where they could get rid of, of mortgage insurance and the timing issue here, November of 2020. Now, basically everyone in 2020 who benefited from that appreciation and has a locked in low rate and mortgage insurance should be looking at getting that removed and going through 2021, they need to be considering that as they hit the two-year mark as well for those that that bought, uh, you know, when we get into 2023 and they bought in 2021.
0: Now, I have a question for you, Melanie. Did yeah. you see any of this? You, so you've been in 15 years, so that would put you right at the heyday of of, of of the market. So in our market in 07, 08, obviously home prices went down considerably. So shortly after that, you could actually um, not petition, but you could ask the county uh, by providing comps uh, to actually lower your tax basis at that time um, by providing, you know, uh, close comps of properties that had, that it's sold showing that, Hey, values have gone down. Therefore we should lower my property taxes, um, uh, based on those comps. Do you guys have anything? I mean, yeah, I, yes. I don't think and values we have, have it dropped. even
2: better. I okay. mean, I'm going to sell Florida right now. Um, so they did it automatically. We didn't have to ask for it. Um, so the way, if you're a primary home here in Florida, you can home, if it's your primary home said you have the homestead exemption. So with that, the taxable value can only go up 3% per year. However, it can go down as much as the property appraiser wants it to go down. So we saw very large decreases in our taxable values during those years, especially uh, 2009, 10, 11. Um, And then the crazy thing about it is that moving forward, the only... they were only allowed to raise them by three percent per year mm-hmm. so when you're looking at someone who bought in my old neighborhood last year for say a million two versus somebody who bought it when i bought it in 2006 who rode through all the decreases in taxes we are talking about a massive property tax difference between neighbors so um it it was a wonderful benefit that we got during that time that people needed um, however, it is creating really, really big gaps right now.
0: So well, we, that's, we have that—that's that, that's California. I mean, that's well, why we're still here.
1: Jeb, one of the interesting differences. So California, with Prop 13, you can only have two percent increases. But let's say at some point you do have a decrease. You go to the assessor and they drop that value. The the ceiling stays at whatever your home peaked at and can continue to go up two percent annually from there. So like when the market took back off in 20. 13 2014 2015 we had people seeing bigger than 2% increases in their values they were still subdued relative to what the actual fair market value of the property was but we did see those values going up higher cuz they don't limit you you're not limited by how the property value goes down it's limited by the peak that it was at and still 2% increases over time
0: yeah and that's you know where i was going with the comment that i made melanie is that you know our property taxes, like we have, you know, grandma who bought her house in, in 1960 uh, beside me who pays like $1,000 a year in property taxes and then my bills, you know, $12,000 a year or whatever the number is, right? And it's just a matter of when you bought it and you paid, you know, that 1% based off the 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 value or the price at that time. And then it couldn't have increased more than 2% per year. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, then. the so, difference is yeah.
2: we didn't have to ask for it. Um, no, that seems like a lot great. of work that's... for your property assessor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it and it was, I mean, it came through us initially. So we had to fill out a form, provide the comps, and then somebody had to analyze it and say, yeah, this is accurate. It's not, whatever. Um, but the only reason I even brought that up is just to see, you know, if if values did decrease by some big amount, if there's some sort of forgiveness, if you will, when it comes to property taxes. yeah So light says, do automated valuations, including Zillow, take into account the last sale date? If the last sale was 30 years ago, it could be outdated and have deferred maintenance versus the same house that sold last year. So here's the problem with Zillow is that it's probably uh, more wrong than it is right because of what you just mentioned there is that all Zillow can do is is look at data and data with regards to bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage, lot size. That's essentially what they're looking at. And they can get some sales history um, on them and what have you, but where, where they're missing the mark is location. Um, Where's that property located versus the neighbor? Is one have a view? Does one not have a view? Is one staring at the ocean? Is one backing to a freeway? All it's doing is looking at the the data, so to speak, and not anything more than that. And so it doesn't know if Melanie's house is completely dialed into the nines and and upgraded, you know, yesterday, and my house is completely original from 40 years ago, that's where Zillow is wrong. And the data is easily manipulated. I've told you guys this, and I've actually showed it to you where Zillow will come out with the value of a property and say a home is worth, say 500,000. If I go list that property as a real estate agent, if I list it and and say I list it for two million dollars, Zillow will automatically change their number to two million bucks or around two million bucks just with me listing that property there. So it's very the numbers are very easily influenced um, to whatever someone lists that home at. So in a market like we're in right now. The numbers are going to be off if somebody's overpricing property. I mean, it's going to be off more than than normal. At least that's how it is here in California because you've just got so many different types of property built at different times, different tracks, different all of these different factors playing into it. Now, in in a uh, state like Florida, it, it might be a little bit different. What do you see there, Melanie?
2: Anything? Yeah, we, um, same exact, uh, feedback. The prices go up once we list it. Um, the, they are the most accurate in the neighborhoods where there's a lot of track homes and there's, yep. you know, a decent amount of sales and everything's kind of the same. Um, they, they tend to be, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, well, a lot closer than they are in neighborhoods, more like around our cities and stuff.
0: No, good, good stuff. Josh finally paid the light bill. Lights came on over there. I that know. Was I was good. gonna
2: say, is, does, does does that mean the party's I, over and the lights? I moved,
0: come yeah, you got that arm. wine you had going. Yeah, it's, uh, party's done. Uh, so Jeb, we actually
1: yeah. there's two comments here, and, and, oh, and I want I I, I want. Uh, To to hear Ah. here, so Jen (laughs) Jen the your producer says Melanie helped us buy a house for forty seven thousand dollars in two thousand nine, and then follows up with our property taxes in two thousand eleven were three hundred dollars a year. So give us some context to this. What did that look like, and what did it end up? uh, Is it what Jen
0: did it get sold? Is what we want to know. What. What does Jen live in was what, we, what we're trying so, to figure out um, here. So
2: actually, I mean, that was the depths of our right. short sale foreclosure market. So the house that she bought was, um, I forget what year it was, probably somewhere in the 50s. I'm sure Jen will chime in in a second um, on uh, Coquina Key, which is actually a really lovely piece of property south of downtown St. Pete. Um, her and her husband were just looking for a deal like I mean you everyone was at that time and it was a short sale I think we negotiated for several months as they all were back then and I think she sold it for 87,000 when she moved to Atlanta Um, so she made a decent amount of money on it pretty quickly and the market still wasn't that great whenever she sold it so um, she practically doubled her money, but uh, but yeah, that was that was back in the day. Now that same house, um, yeah, I think she did a video on it. Um, was for sale in the two hundreds again. I'm sure she'll chime in with the actual number. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was I mean, it was like 700 square feet though. It was tiny.
0: She said it was a two and probably two one. On, it wouldn't on qualify
2: island. for flood insurance now, so we probably wouldn't even be able to get it insured now. But that was different days back then.
0: No, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh Alex, can I take a second loan on my primary to pay off my investment? And would you recommend that, Josh? So how does it work? Second second loans, HELOCs. Give us a I
1: would I would hope and imagine that your interest rate, even with an investment property loan, a, a non owner occupied loan would be at a lower rate than anything you could get in terms of a second mortgage right now. So I don't know if there's going to be any savings. You would end up with that investment property free and clear, but your interest costs are probably going to go up. So I wouldn't advise it. Unless I'm way wrong and you have a much higher interest rate, maybe you did a hard money loan on the investment property and you're still looking at being able to lower the the interest rate and payment. Um, But can you do it? Absolutely. There's nothing preventing you from doing it. We had a lot of people. um, I had a few clients that were nearing retirement age that had multiple highly appreciated properties and they were renting them out and we were able to massively increase their cash flow when rates were lower by combining uh, the the loans, paying off the loans on a couple of the investment properties with the equity in their primary residence. So it can be a good strategy. You just have to look at what are your interest costs on the current loan what would the interest costs be on the new loan. And it's probably not going to pencil out right
0: now. There you go. And then here's another question that just follows up to home equity lines, asking if if a draw against it actually counts against your DTI. So even if you don't have a draw against it, Josh, doesn't it affect your debt to income ratio in some regard because the lender is going to count that potential or is that not right?
1: It's treated like a credit card. I mean, your credit card might have a $30,000 limit on it, but if you don't borrow on it, they don't go, hey, you could go spend $30,000 or $3,000 tomorrow. They just take it for, for granted that it's going to stay at that level. So right. if you have $150,000 HELOC with a zero balance, they're not gonna count anything against you. If you borrow that $150,000 for a down payment on another property, we have to get your documentation and calculate what that payment is going to be and counted in your debt to income ratio.
0: All right. We got Maria asking a question on Melarus. Do you guys have melarus in, in, in so Tampa or Florida? They're called
2: CDDs here. Okay. So yes, but we have something very similar.
0: Okay. So does melarus also increase every year, like property taxes? If so, how much can they increase? So I I don't know this to be a hundred percent fact, but I think the answer is no, they don't increase because it's a bond. And essentially what they do is they take that amount, they spread it over a certain period of time and, and come up with a payment amount that that's the amount, right? And you pay it um, on top of your property taxes. So, not
2: entirely. Um, so, yes, you're right. The CDD here is made up of two portions it's the bond portion and the maintenance portion. So, the bond portion isn't going to change because that's locked in, but the other portion will. So, and but it doesn't really change by that much. And there's a CDD board, much like there is an HOA board in all of these neighborhoods, um, and they decide the budget for the next year. So you might see some, some fluctuations in that, but it doesn't tend to be, you know, any major, uh, fluctuations. And then once the bond portion is paid off, that maintenance portion remains forever.
0: Now is now here in California. I don't know. Do we have a maintenance portion, Josh, Josh, or is it all just part of the bond? I, I never look at them. It, and
1: the crazy thing is we we pull a tax profile on it right. and it tells us is it is it a percentage based or is it a flat dollar amount based? And the dollar amount is generally set in stone um, unless the voters vote to increase it. The percentage obviously goes up with the value.
0: Yeah, I, I'm actually I don't know here in California if if it I, I think that it's more of a fix. Now, like Melanie said, maybe it adjusts a little bit, but it's not enough to you Wouldn't know. the
2: bond eventually be paid off, though.
0: It it is. Yeah. So it's a 25, 35 year bond, depending on, you know, how long they structured it. But I think the payment itself is, is set. And I don't know that there's any additional, um, fee per that, that, that Mellorose, um, it's just more uh, other things that are happening, you know, with regards to, you know, taxes around whatever. So So
2: after 25 years though, that just goes away. Yes. Yeah. Mellorose. So here, if
0: you have Melarus at some point, you could have a house with no Melarus.
2: Yeah, so ours goes down significantly, but it's it takes a long time, obviously, to get there, so.
0: All right, all right, we're learning, we're learning it,
2: I like seeing the way it's spelled, because I've heard it said so many times by and clients, like, but I've never actually seen that? it spelled Mello Mello Russe. Russe. <laughs> like what are they <laughs> Ours is Community Development District, CDD, so yeah, that makes it doesn't a lot. have a that, fancy name like yours. Yeah,
0: that, that makes <laughs> a lot more sense. Uh, Burn It Up says, I am in Cali, bought last year, want to remove escrow, so they have impounds. Impound your taxes and insurance, part of your mortgage payment. How do I go about removing that, Josh? Can you remove it?
1: In in most situations, yes. Lenders have a requirement in terms of the loan to value. Like if you put three percent down or five percent down, nearly every lender is going to require you to impound for taxes, insurance. Once you get to ten percent, um, if. FHA is is always going to require it. VA, some lenders do, some don't. It's not a VA requirement. And conventional loans, once you get to 10% down, most lenders are not going to require it. So to get rid of them, it's a pretty simple process. Call your servicer, tell them what you'd like to do. They're going to look at your payment history. They're going to say, do they like doing business with you? Are they comfortable with you paying your taxes and insurance on your own? And if so, what they will do is they will process it and issue a refund of the balance in your current impound account, and then let you know that you will be responsible for your insurance renewal in your property taxes when they come due.
0: All right. Dina comes in with another question asking the risk of buying or with looking into buying foreclosure. So I would say the risk of, of buying a foreclosure is, I mean, the same risk of, of buying any property really is that you know, you're going to do a property inspection. you're going to do these unless you're buying something off the courthouse steps at which point obviously there's there's greater risk involved and most people aren't doing that because that's a cash sale. Um, in, at least here in California, I don't know, you know, I know, uh, Florida has some things with, same. with yeah. taxed, you know, uh, properties that are what tax liens, um, yeah. property tax liens that you can buy and some yeah, other that's, crazy that's
2: stuff. pretty overblown.
0: Yeah. But yeah. So, so the risk is the same of, of buying any, any other property. Um, really, I mean, I sold a lot of foreclosures back between 2009 and 2011, um, even continuing a little bit after 2011 but the a bulk between 2009 and 2011 probably 100 uh foreclosures during that period of time and i would say the the greatest you know the, the biggest issue with with these properties was just deferred maintenance um in 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 those specifically and quite frankly at that time fannie mae wells fargo those guys were doing the basic work to get the property in in sellable condition and home inspector would go through and list things and they would give credits and what have you so there wasn't really, um, a risk, so to speak, uh, because as long as you're doing an inspection, you're going to be, you know, no different than buying any other property, uh, outside of the fact that you don't have the seller disclosures listing what the seller specifically knows about the property. But if I'm being honest, half the times the sellers don't know what's going on with the property anyway. Um, and, and, you know, any more than a home inspector would. So, I don't know, and, and and I think a lot of people are looking at foreclosures now, thinking that's where the opportunity is, that's where my deal is, and I just don't see that being the case. So, yeah, I we actually, can do a whole different conversation on that. But
2: yeah. yeah, I looked it up, and in my three county radius, we only have uh, forty two active foreclosures on the market right now. um So uh, same same that you, I sold a bunch of foreclosures as well. And um, during that time, I have equated buying from iBuyers, Open Door and um, OfferPad and places like that over the last couple of years as essentially buying foreclosures, because that's what it felt like you were dealing with, you know, a a corporate entity on the other side. There was no disclosures. Um, We had no really other than the inspection of knowing what was going on. Um, In Florida, we had so many foreclosures and the deferred maintenance was extreme, uh, we had houses that were abandoned for very long periods of time, houses that were stripped of everything down to doorknobs. Um, and uh, so buying a foreclosure back then was pretty risky and a pretty expensive thing to do. What you were saving, um, you were probably spending on uh, fixing it up. Uh, if the foreclosure market is becomes something that we're looking into more, um, in the next couple of years, then if the banks can process them somewhat timely way, then you don't end up having them vacant for so long. I mean, the, a vacant house in Florida is hot and moldy and, you know, you have to strip out the drywall to get some of the stink out of those houses. So
1: so, Florida is a a, a judicial foreclosure state, right? Yes. So what's the normal timeline? And for, for those of you watching at home, it's it's very different when it's a judicial foreclosure. In California, it's a, a mortgage date, uh, deed of trust. Basically, if you stop making your payment, the lender has to file a notice of default. You have 90 days to cure that default. They have to file a notice of trustee sale. You have 21 days and they can take it to sale. So literally in 111 days from you missing your payment, a lender can take it to sale. That's not the case in judicial foreclosure states like Florida. It's a lot longer time.
2: That could be... That- That that is so far from what we deal with here. Um, Years, uh, depending on who you have, what lawyer you have, they will drag it through the courts for years. I mean, three, four years before it actually gets foreclosed on. And that's one of the things when people are looking at Zillow, which often shows pre-foreclosures whenever you're looking at maps um they will call me and say this house is going to be foreclosed on and maybe they're coming from different states where that's not the case because it's always been a little confusing as to why they think it's going to be available i'm like that house could be in for the foreclosure process for years until the bank sells it on the courthouse steps or they relist it it is not available for you to purchase no it says and, and i think it's a, you just mentioned Sorry, something really know, important
0: and that's what a, a pre-foreclosure people see that and think, okay, this is a pre, this thing is going to foreclose. It's a pre foreclosure. No, it just means that a notice of default has been filed Right. that that they have missed payments and that, you know, the, the bank has, has sent a notice basically saying you're in default. That is a pre foreclosure in, in California, like Josh said, can be four months or so. Um, typically a lo- lo- lot, it doesn't it happen could. that quickly, but it could, um, but those people could also cure that pre foreclosure. They could come in with the payments and bring it back current, and then it's no longer a pre foreclosure. I've seen houses go pre foreclosure, go back current, pre foreclosure, current, five or six times. Um, I mean, if you look at uh, a you know a title profile here in in California, you can see you know a property going you know court dates, all of this stuff shows on. Um, the title profile, and you can see them getting cured, coming back in, and you just never know what happens in those situations. So don't just sit around staring, you know, looking for, for these quote unquote opportunities. Maybe they come, maybe they don't, but I wouldn't put all my eggs in, in one basket, if you will. And. And looking at those
1: i have the best example of that jeb there was a house on main street our office is here on main street you go about a mile and a half that way and you're at the beach and about a half mile in from the beach maybe a quarter mile in from the beach there was a bitchin old house that would have qualified for the mills act it was in the foreclosure process for nine years different asset managers would get assigned to it even though it wasn't completely foreclosed it was vacant it was in a lawsuit um, you looked at the title of records, none of it made sense. And then magically one day I looked up and there's people there that have bought it, and it wasn't me.
0: <laughs> and I'm mad. <laughs> I'm still mad. I'm still mad about it. Um, here, here's one for you, Melanie. Uh, from Juan, Juan chog. Juanchog. Juan uh, <laughs> Builders in central Florida have started to trim prices on current inventory. What reasonable incentives, reasonable. That's, you know, taking it <laughs> at face value. Can I ask for new homes built from scratch? So, if you had a buyer come in today, Juan Chog came in to you today, Melanie wants to buy a house. What, what are, how are you approaching that with, um, with incentives or, or, you know, yeah, what to a, ask for?
2: A new home built from scratch. Um, yeah. So, um, their builders are still going to be motivated by giving closing costs because they can do that while keeping their prices up higher. So I would go very high in that, keeping in mind that closing costs on new construction are always significantly higher than they are on resales. Um, A lot of builders have um, builder fees, Lennar has a 1% builder fee, and then all of the closing costs other than real estate costs are on the buyer's side. So you can ask for a very large chunk of money Um, to go towards your closing costs and then towards a buy-down. If he's building it from scratch, that's the part of the question that creates more questions for me. Um, You know, what is the timing on that? And, you know, what would they be willing to contribute to a um, a buy-down if a buy-down is needed? I mean, there's just so many questions as to when that house would be done and what the interest rates would be. Um, Will they... Guarantee some sort of interest rate, a lock, you know, some sort of bid on that will guarantee some sort of interest rate. I don't even know if they would do that at this point. Um, if you are looking at any builder from now to the end of the year, you need to go for the jugular as far as what you're asking for, even if it feels ridiculous. What's the worst they can say? No, they don't care. They're they're builders. They'll tell no, you no.
0: Are they going to counter you back? Or are they just going to leave you out the door? No,
2: they'll they'll counter you back. They, I mean, they need to sell these houses, but you're probably you know, not going to get everything you want, but trying to go down and it's been that rule with new construction forever is trying to get them down in price is very difficult. Um, However, if a house is close to being done, you have much more Um, The builders are much more incentivized to lower the price on a house that's close to being done because they don't want the carrying costs versus one that they're building from scratch. So that's why the from scratch part of the question is the hardest part for me to answer, Um, because an inventory house is probably one that you're going to get a better deal on, at least right now, assuming that, you know, the prices don't go down a lot.
1: Melanie, I don't think we've closed the loop for those watching at home. Why? So we talked about builders have to sell. They're not in the, in, in the market for keeping homes. They're going to sell them. So they are more motivated than a potential seller who can just pull their house off the market. Why are they so resistant to a price cut and more open to these other concessions?
2: Yeah. So builders don't like price cuts because it creates a, um, a giant problem for them, for people that are closing after this particular buyer and before that particular buyer. So um, they do everything they can. Like I said, they will often... Um, include what I would call secret things, you know, refrigerators, blinds, things like that, that we negotiate into contracts that don't affect the price point because they have to keep their comps in a neighborhood all at a certain level, both for you know, the, the buyer's psych, you know, psychology and for appraisers. Um, so they're trying to sell houses, you know, the next houses, and a lot of houses are very standard. So they don't want to start lowering prices that, that brings everything down. Now, if they're holding on to a lot of inventory, they're going to have to lower prices. That's just, obviously, the nature of the market. Um, how, when they start doing that, we have already seen them start to do that. But they're lowering prices on inventory homes, not necessarily houses that you're building from scratch. Right. and they're doing that because they need to close them before the end of their fiscal year whether that be the end of November or the end of December. So, yeah, that's going to make some of their previous buyers mad, but it'll make their stockholders happy, which is what matters to some of these larger companies.
0: And I also have to assume that by keeping the price high and giving credits and what sort that's a tax deduction, right? They're they're taking a loss on some of this stuff versus lowering the price up front because the price up front lowering that price there was never a sales price that they were selling it at. You know what I mean? It's, it's once there's a price that somebody, uh, you know, confirms and now you're reducing things, maybe there's a tax incentive there for them to do that. I don't know. Maybe I'm making up something. Yeah. I, no I,
2: I don't know. I've never really thought about the builders uh, tax breaks. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and I think a lot sure. of these
0: builders are probably, I mean, we're not feeling bad for builders. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not at least, I mean, a lot of these guys are probably getting 25 20% more than they ever thought they were going to sell that house for when they planned this community 2 years ago or whenever they were planning these communities just because of what happened in the market. I mean, I think a lot well, of builders ended up getting more money than, you know, on on different communities because so, of
2: that. Yes and no. I have I, I have a lot of builder relationships and what I will say is that the where they got crushed and I say crushed because they're fine, they're paying their bills, Um, is the people that went under contract, say, early COVID years, so fall of 2020, the cost of construction went up so much Mm -hmm. during the time that that house was being constructed that their margins were were definitely more narrow. Now, they were selling more houses, and they were able to price them better uh, to cover those costs. But there were a lot of people that I closed – um, new construction houses that it was laughable how low the price was. You knew that the builder wasn't making a ton of money. So, I, you know, that, that I'll play devil's advocate. And no, that's, and, that's, and, that's, that's uh, good info.
0: Yeah. I, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah. They probably got into the middle of that and realized they priced things too low just because of the cost had, had risen. R- and that's why they stopped reason yeah no,
2: um and that's yeah, why they started much. selling it at a certain point of construction because at that point they were able to price all of their materials they they knew what all the framing wood was going to cost and and all of that and the windows i mean windows were a major problem so once you get just before a drywall you know the price of the house you've already ordered everything so then they could price it properly which made sense and i totally understood when they did that and frankly it was easier than having these you know questionable timelines
0: no. Good stuff. Uh, Marion. Marion lives in Brandon, Florida. That's a little ironic. Brandon, Florida.
2: Brandon, Florida. Yes. That's uh, a suburb outside is of Rent
0: 1650 uh, Would rather have a mortgage. Do you need lots for closing costs? Josh, uh, saving for closing and paying rent feels impossible. So are there people out there to help you with closing costs at the moment, Josh? Lenders, well, builders, sellers? It's,
1: it's- it's a really good question. So we've just been talking about new construction. Can we get sellers to pay it? Mo- yes. Most likely um, resale our sellers wanting to move homes, especially if it's not the most beautiful turnkey home. Yeah. They're willing to do it. Lender credits can be really difficult in the current market just because um with rates up, lenders don't want to pay a premium. So they won't let you bump your rate and get much of a credit because they don't want even higher rate loans on the books because they're worried that they're all going to pay off. So it comes back to, Can you get it covered by the seller is gonna be your best option and you should absolutely be able to. Important question, Melanie, we get this all the time. People always wanna ask um, how much are closing costs or how much do I need to have saved for closing costs? And I can tell them very well what it's gonna look like in California. These vary a lot regionally. For us, on a typical purchase in California, they're going to have uh, about two percent. It's going to be about one percent for their closing costs, about another one percent for their prepaids to establish that impound account. You want to be safe, say two and a half, three percent. How do closing costs look in Florida?
2: Yeah, that that's very similar, about two percent, and obviously um, it depends on whether they're buying new construction or if they're buying a resale. So, um, and Josh, what might not to tell you what to say, but what might be helpful to Marion? Um, is um, to go through how much a lender is or how much a seller is actually able to contribute to to closing costs and prepaids. Those percentages are a lot and they cover the closing costs and prepaids for the most part.
1: Yeah, the, the most restrictive is going to be a conventional 3% down and you're still able to get 3% towards your closing costs. We just talked about somewhere between 2 and 3% if you're not in a super high closing cost state like New York should be enough to cover it. And the seller can absolutely do that. You're going to need to come in with all of your own down payment. They can't contribute anything towards your down, but they can cover anything and everything beyond that unless you're in a really high closing cost state making a very low down payment.
0: No, no, no. Agreed. Um, and, and I think you'll see a lot of, you know, more of those incentives out there. Like, you know, Jen said with, I mean, Jen, Melanie said with, I was reading Jen's comment with, Melanie said with uh builders out there, right? They don't want to lower their prices. They're more willing to offer incentives. Sellers are the same way. We talk about prices being sticky to the upside. You know, you see your neighbor's house sell for Now it's time for your house to sell. You think your house is nicer than your neighbors. Yours has a pool. You have a view. They don't, you don't want less than 500,000. It's a mental thing, emotional thing, all of the above. So, but you're more willing to offer some credits here and there to, to, to help. Um, and, and professional agents, good agents out there are helping people understand that. And also helping the buyer's agents also understand like, Hey, listen, we can lower this price by 25 grand, or we can give you, 10, 12 grand help you buy down the rate. The payment's actually going to be less by buying down the rate than it is getting the twenty-five thousand. We're not doing both. What does your you know What does your buyer want want to do? I mean, this one makes uh, more sense financially, and so I think it's market's going to continue to slow. Just the time of year, on top of of you know what we're seeing with um, with interest rates, and it's it's going to be. An interesting, you know, three to four months. I think just because I think it's going to be a, a natural slowdown on top of a slowdown anyway. So, what
1: what do you guys think of of this statement? Um, any seller who has their home on the market here through the holidays, already in a slow market, is probably a, a serious and, and motivated seller. Is that accurate, or do we still have some some people who are just uh, kind of interested in selling versus motivated sellers?
2: I don't have any sellers that aren't trying to sell their house because they're the only reason people are even selling right now is because there is a reason for it. They are being located to a different city for a job is, is most of what I see around here. So no, we don't see sellers. I mean, where are they going to go? The interest rates are high everywhere. So um, unless they have a really good reason, they're not selling.
0: No. And I'm, I'm with Melanie on that. And, and I think, I mean, I would say, again, traditionally speaking, if you have your home on the market this time of year, you're a serious seller Um, because you don't want people transiting through your house, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, trying to be with family and that sort of thing. I mean, it's known as a time of year for opportunities for deals just in general. The last two years, a little anomalies uh, in the market there. But, yeah, I think you're serious. I mean, if you're putting your home on the market at the moment, I mean, I had a conversation with a seller that we're going to be listing our house after the first of the year. Do you need to sell now? no. I said, I would put my house on the market at the moment. Um, and not because I think the spring she's going to get significantly more money. I just don't think she's going to, it's not going to sell right now because of the price point, because of, you know, she needs to do some things to it to get it on the market. For one, I think it's better to, you know, when she's ready and has that, that, uh, the property in, in the right shape to put it on the market is is going to be a better time than trying to force something before the holidays? Because I don't think it's going to happen before the holidays. Just because it's it's in the luxury price point, you know, above two million bucks, and so I think it's worth just waiting, seeing what you know um, next couple months hold, and then and listing it at that point. So so sh- yeah. should I
1: should I ask for a showing at five p.m. Christmas Eve to determine how serious and motivated your seller is,
0: dude? I I had a listing appointment one time on Christmas Eve. My wife almost killed me. Um, but yeah, at a bar, mind you, at a bar. I showed up at a bar, an <laughs> this Irish bar. This
1: doesn't sound like a listing appointment yeah. at all. It was, it hey, was I, a listing,
2: listing hey, appointment. We more set, fun in California.
0: B- we set at the bar. Uh, what's that place uh, over in Fountain Valley over by the police station there? Silky uh, Sullivan's? Yes, yeah, Silky Sullivan's. We sat <laughs> at the bar and had a beer on Christmas Eve to discuss his listing. True story.
2: I think it depends on uh, what time of the day it was. <sighs>
0: That's a really good question. I don't remember. It, it was not at night. Was, I do know it was that okay. it, was early. it was eleven okay. p.m. That's but it might have clear. been worse because I think it was like nine a.m. Um, on Christmas Eve in the morning. We're drinking in a bar.
2: Well, that part of the the story is worse. But the the fact that you were at least back. No, at no, a I, time, I, yeah, it I did not leave the kids to
0: hang out. Uh, you know, solo with with Santa Claus and mom. Um, mm, it's
2: good. It's, you, know, you could but, have a hot toddy at. At that uh, or a uh, bloody, Mar- uh, bloody Mary or something like that. That sounds fun.
1: You know, he, stra- just... he straggled back home around 11 PM and had to tell his wife, I don't know wh- what went wrong with our meeting. He decided not to list
0: <laughs> that part, that part. Well, there, there's more to that story, but that's a whole different story. Um, but yeah, anyway, this, this conversation just took a turn. So what are we doing here? It's six Let's, we don't have it's, any more questions. So we got, let's, we've worked through all like the questions.
2: Uh, 9 45 here in florida so and it's still not really windy outside
0: is this bedtime
2: sort of i mean we're definitely getting there but now now you know i have lights in my eyes so i'm not gonna be all up. that tired right now so but tomorrow isn't really a big work day because none of us can drive around tomorrow so um i will be here so hopefully you know sleep in a little bit although i don't sleep anymore i don't i don't know about you guys but i haven't slept in a couple years so
0: you know, I get up early, so I go to bed early. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're approaching my bedtime here. Um, it's only, it's only <laughs> 7 o'clock. And I'm, yeah. I'm being just a little as facetious. When he gets up not... early,
1: he means like 4 a.m. early. Like well, I do the early. same thing.
2: I think that's just the mind of a real estate agent. I mean, once once I'm somewhat awake and everything kind of floods in my head, forget it. Uh, it's not happening anymore. So
0: Now, and it's it's for me. It's uh, the kids. Like if you don't get up that early, you literally have no silence in in the world. So you might as well, you know, if you yeah, want any I'm silence in your that. life, you gotta you gotta get up early.
2: Yeah, I have old I have older kids now, so I I did that a lot. So long you're time
0: gonna ago. tell me you missed that, and I should enjoy it. No, hundred So much day. better.
2: So much better when you get on the other side of it. Oh, there you
0: go. See, <laughs> see some 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 real some real good info there. Where where Gosh. are we at here, Josh? Any questions? Are we uh, we we? I think we're out. done.
1: Everyone's saying thanks, so I think we're hitting the. They're as interested in being on the market as, uh, as sellers are right now.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly. So we're approaching that slow time. Um. So, guys, uh, Melanie, uh, Atkinson, yes. uh, Tampa, Florida. Melanie loves Tampa Bay. Check out her channel. It's all about Tampa Bay, Florida real estate. Um, follow her on social media on Instagram. She's got a great following there as well. Um, a lot of new construction, a lot of pretty houses, a lot of, uh, yeah. good info out there. So check her out. If you haven't done so already, you know, like, like the show, follow, follow us, follow her, follow everyone, uh, check out, um, you know, latest episode of the educated home buyer and I'll let you and Josh Melanie and Josh, you guys send us out here. Anything you want to say, add, tell people it's all good.
1: No, we're getting lots of nice comments here that we had a great guest. We have two weeks of guests and both guests delivered big time. So we were uh, very fortunate to be graced by your presence and and getting some uh, perspective from the other side of the world, uh, despite you being at (laughs) risk of a tropical storm now soon to be a hurricane.
2: Yes. Well, thank you for having me. I very much enjoy talking about all of this stuff. Um, I put an Instagram story up right before I came on that said, I think I need a hobby because figuring out statistics is entirely too much fun for me. So um, I guess it's good that we have an outlet <laughs> and no, sure. um, anyone in California who's looking forward to uh, visiting Tampa, just come visit. I think, I think you guys would be surprised how nice it is over here. So it's a really great city. And we have two cities right next to each other. So. there
0: you go. So check her out. Follow her. Follow us. We'll be back next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the educated home buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at the slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.